Paycor knows HR teams are under pressure to recruit and retain top talent. You need more than HR tech. You need expertise at the core. Meet Paycor. Our technology saves you time. Our expertise helps you make a difference. Paycor.com slash meet Paycor. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hello, everybody. I'm Stephanie Hansen. Welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, episode 20. It's hard to believe we've had 20 of these, but we have. And if you are listening to them and you like listening and you like what you hear, remember to share uh, or give it a rating on Podcast One. That helps us become more recognizable. You can also rate us on iTunes. You can also find these podcasts on MyTalk 1071. Uh, they are located on the homepage there under Podcasts. And you can hear me there as well on The Weekly Dish, which is a radio show that we do about food every week from 9 to 11 on Saturdays. My radio partner there is Stephanie March, food editor in Minneapolis-St. Paul Magazine. We talk all about food and spirits and beers and everything that's happening in the food community. But this podcast gives us more time with guests that are makers of Minnesota. And there's a lot of cool things happening in Minnesota, a lot of cool things being made. I am here today with Mike Klosterbohr and Mike Roysom, and they are with a company called Two Mikes, and it's Two Mikes Green Fin Plant Care is their product. And I was recommended to talk to them by a friend that said, hey, you need to meet these guys. They're the Two Mikes. Have you heard about these Two Mikes? I was like, no, I, why would I have heard about the Two Mikes? She said, oh my gosh, they're doing the coolest thing. They're like going out and they're getting fish and they're making them into fertilizer. And it's just this really cool story. So you got to talk to these guys. So here we are. We have the two mics in studio. Hello, Mikes. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Hi. How's right. it going? Good. Thanks. Okay. So my first question is I need someone to explain to me exactly how this works. Like I have this vision of you guys in a canoe in the middle of the night with some like old decrepit light hauling in fish and then bringing it into someone's backyard and liquefying it or doing something crazy. Am I close? Yeah. I mean, you almost kind of hit it on the head right there. (laughs) No. So yeah, we do it at night. So it started as kind of a sport. We're both fishermen and there's a new thing called, well, it's not that new. This is Mike Royce. that's talking. Were you guys friends like in high school or college or how'd you meet? Yeah. In high school, we grew up together. Okay. And where'd you grow up? Madison. Oh, I love Madison. Yeah. Good, earthy, foodie town. Uh, did you go to Madison for college? I did. He went to Notre Dame. Okay, traitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so your friends, I would assume you fished a little bit in your college days together? Yeah, so we actually, since we went to college in several locations, we actually kind of got reunited up here about four years ago. Uh, Mike Klusterbohr has lived up here for several years. I moved up here in December of 2012. So then we started putting our heads together. Um, it, it was actually us and one of our other buddies. We wanted to get into something called bow fishing. Sure. Which is actually, it's it's somewhat violent sounding, but you, you, <laughs> you go out at night, you put 
lights on the water, and then you actually shoot at fish with a bow and arrow. Now, the cool thing about bow fishing is you, you're only allowed to shoot the rough, invasive species, so like the carp and, and, and things like that, things that aren't n- native to the area. Okay, and, are and just, can you and, tell at night, like when they, can you see them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have enough light power where you can identify what fish it is. Do all fish come to the surface or just the invasive ones? They all behave a little differently. Some get spooked easily. But with the carp, yeah, it kind of depends on the night, on the weather. Okay. They may sit there. They may start running away. Okay. All right. So, it's yeah, it's a little bit more high octane than just sitting around casting a bait and drinking beer. It's, you yeah. know, you got to be on the edge of your, you know, on the edge of your boat, literally, um, to do this. So... So, anyways, it's 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 great, you know what what you're doing. You're having a good time, and you're you're getting rid of these fish that are destructive, and you know make make the water dirty and and cause the native species to suffer. And so, these and are the poorly. invasive carp that you're getting with bow and arrows. Correct. Okay, so I know there's invasive species, and I know that there are these carp. Are these the same carp that like jump into boats and? are like almost flying when they hear motors come by? So those are the silver carp. The main fish around here is common carp. So they've been here for 150 years, and they've been invasive that entire time. So we planted them here on essentially on accident that long ago, thinking they'd be the next sport fish. Okay, I did not, not know that. Not knowing yeah. that they would totally take over the lake, eat all the vegetation, and ruin the water quality. Okay, so they eat the vegetation. The water actually becomes so clear that there isn't places for the fish to hide, and it ruins the ecosystem. Is that correct? Yeah. And a I'm lot- simplifying it, of course. There's a number of different things. I mean, I think the, the real destructive nature of, and the other Mike can probably correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think one of the other things is, these these carp that are the the flying carp, if you will, they'll yep. they'll they'll only partially digest some of the different organic matter that they're they're consuming, and that'll give that'll throw off your pH. It'll it'll kill plant species and things like that. So it just kind of throws off the whole balance of the ecosystem. So you guys are like, hey, we're gonna bow hunt these carp. This will be cool. So you start doing this. Were you shocked at how many there were? Yeah, I mean, I I actually had done it before in high school in Madison, and so I was I'd kind of seen it. And to be honest with you, it's it's kind of alarming when you've spent, you know, your childhood jumping off these docks and swimming in these lakes, and all of a sudden you see these like thirty pound nasty fish cruising around. So it's 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 surprising. I mean, I mean and it's it, it's been fun here in the cities because you, we go to a lot of these different lakes, like Lake Harriet and Calhoun, that you think of, or it's just kind of these retention ponds that have sailboats in them and stuff but there's a lot of big carp big fish in there and there's a lot of them so okay because that was my next question now i'm getting freaked out because you're (laughs) i was like thinking like oh they have to be in the mississippi river no you're are you going to the river are you just going to lakes or both we do go to the river but you'd be surprised at how many fish and really big fish are actually in the lakes okay so a hooray that you're getting them out, but so you go out there. Do you have a specialized boat now? Like, cause you're carrying. I mean, okay, I I don't know a lot about fishing. I'm sure you can sense this. You have this boat. You're out there. You've got the light shining on it. You're bow hunting. So that has skill written all over it because you have to a determine which kind of fish you can shoot. Then you shoot the fish. 
then you have to get it into your boat. And aren't these fish heavy and huge? Yeah, they can be you know, upwards of 30, 40 pounds around here. Some of these invasive ones that you were talking about, not the flying ones, but there's other invasive ones that can get up to 100 pounds. Are they hard to catch? Yeah, when they get up around 40 pounds, um, you have a line tethered to your arrow, but you pretty much have to grab onto that and fight them with your hands then pulling this line in. Okay. One, one of the real challenging things that when you're actually physically shooting your bow and arrow at the at these fish is the, the beginners have, the people who haven't done it before have a hard time because there's the, the water refracts light. So if you sure. picture yourself putting an oar or a paddle or a stick or something in the water, it looks like it's bent. So what you actually see that you're shooting at, you have to aim below that in order to compensate for that light refraction. God, so it, that's it, cool. It takes a little bit of it's kind of, it's a bit of an art form to to dial in your shot to make sure you're actually hitting what you're aiming for. All right, so you guys are out there. You're like, oh, this is really cool. You're sport. This is a sport kind of thing, sport fisherman, right? And you're like probably into the gear, and this is really fun. And you're going out at night. At what point? Like you're hauling in these fish into the boat. At what point are you looking at them and thinking, well, we can turn this into fertilizer and start a company? I don't, I'm like, this seems like really a lot of beer drinking that's going on. I'm not going to lie. To be honest with you, it kind of happened to try and figure out, because, okay, I mean, we're in the middle of a pretty large metro area. Yep. And we've got, you know, day jobs that require us to get up in the morning, get to work. And, you know, (laughs) we're, we're just as busy as the next person. So. When all of a sudden you have two trash cans full of dead, stinky fish, you got to figure out what you're going to do with them. It's not like you can just, you know, take them into the bathroom and flush them out of the toilet. And two or, trash cans is like a night's haul, right? On a good night, yeah. yeah. It, it can vary significantly. But, um, but yeah, so I think, you know, we started Craigslisting people because if you, you know, everybody's grandma taught them the trick that if you bury the gar- the carp in the garden, you're going to have great corn next growing season and things like that. So there's there was a lot of people that were looking for, they'd take carp and they'd bury them in their garden or somewhere that like that. That is in Craigslist amazing. Yeah. Like you can just find so much stuff. Yeah. So so we were using that for a while to kind of get rid of this stuff because here you are, you're doing a good thing. You're pulling all this this bad fish, this, this destructive fish out of the water, but then you don't really have a purpose for it when it's a perfectly good fish, you yep. know, a lot of nutrients and things like that. So that's when the gears kind of started turning, and we we started asking ourselves, well, what, how how else could we get rid of this? How could, you know, showing up with a trash can full of big dead fish isn't the most appetizing thing for your average gardener. Yeah. So how could we take this and then make it into something that you know you could find, you could buy on a shelf at a hardware store or a gardening center or something like that? And thus, two Mike's Green Fin Plant Care is born. That's right. So, you have the fish. How do you, like, you decide you're going to turn it into fertilizer? How did you learn how to do that? Or did you just, like, knock on some man's door and say, hey, I have these fish. Can you convert them? How do you even, like, begin that process? So there really isn't a process out there that you can look up today. Okay. We um, started brainstorming ways to do it and actually met with some professors at the University of Minnesota to get some ideas. And first thing they say is, well, there's... There isn't a recipe on how to do this. You know, we got to kind of figure it out. Yep. So it was a lot of trial and error. Um, if you don't process them correctly, it, they rot very quickly. So okay. It was a lot of messy trial and error. Yep. And uh, it took us a couple of years to figure out the process. 
And right now we have a, a fine-tuned process where we send it through temperature-controlled system at different steps, and we break the, the fish down after they're ground up and refine them down into a, essentially a chocolate milk-looking liquid. That is so cool. How much does it cost? Gallon uh, retails around $32, and a, a quart is about 16 and is that like what you'd pay for, I don't know, Preen and Green or miracle Grow or those other types of, is it on par? Yeah, it's very competitive with those. Okay. Um, the nice thing locally, what we can do is give small organic farmers like a 55-gallon drum of it where you're not going to be able to get that from a miracle Grow locally you know, delivered right to you or sure. you can come pick it up from us. So you're using it not only in, like, these kitchen gardens and backyard gardens, but you're in, like, the bigger farmer gardens. Yeah. we've The biggest volume to date we've sold is 55 gallons at a time. And then we also have some local garden centers, like um, landscape design places that, you know, they'll buy 5 to 20 gallons at a time and yeah. use that on all their clients' yards. Are you guys gardeners, either of you, in your spare time? <laughs> we grow vegetables. Did you I did you test it and like here's plant tomato plant A and here's tomato plant B that we've applied the ground up fish to and so yeah last year I did it with one chili plant with and one without and uh, we saw about close to four hundred percent increase with the fertilizer compared to without and then this year I'm doing it on a broader scale with six different hot pepper plants. So I'm waiting. Uh, right now I'm just gathering the final harvest, but we're looking five out of the six have performed extremely well with the fertilizer. That is so cool. So was there a reason that you picked peppers to test it versus tomatoes or just because peppers are easy and kind of prolific? Yeah, and I don't. And peppers aren't probably aren't even the best. We've talked with um, a scientist that wanted to do some experimentation with us who had some other ideas on how to properly grow plant matter and, you know, weigh the entire plant matter after drying it out. But peppers for you know, amateur gardeners is an easy way for us to quickly yeah, evaluate it. Absolutely. We can weigh them easily and we can count them. So now you've turned this into like a business. When you had it as a hobby, like, are you, how are you investing? Are you like, how are you funding your business now? Cause before it was just a hobby and bows and boats and whatever, now are you thinking you're going to take it to the next level? And did you like each put money into a pod and that's your fund money? Or how are you orchestrating that? Yeah, I mean, we it, like you said, it started as a hobby. Um, we've both chipped in, you know, an equal amount of our own yeah. money and things like that to get it going, to get some of the equipment we use. Um, you know, we're... As, as Mike said a minute ago, you know, it's it's taken us a couple of years to really fine tune our process and our recipe and things like that. So, you know, hopefully now we're, we're becoming in a position we're very excited for next year because now we have a lot of product already in hand. So so we have adequate inventory and we can hope we can really fan out a little bit more and really spread the word. Um, you know, I think that before we were in a position where we couldn't grow up too fast. Yeah. So we had to, you know, manage that carefully. Um, but right now we're hoping next year will be, you know, a year that'll, that'll do, do well for us. Are you the, are you the sales guys? We used to have a sales guy, uh, who had a very, uh, attractive accent from New Zealand, oh, but nice. he actually, a couple months ago, he actually moved. So he oh. was, 
he was our sweet talker, if you will. Um, <laughs> everybody really liked talking to him, especially because he was a Kiwi. But um, yeah, now it's just the two of us. So. So when you're not at your full-time day jobs, you pick up the phone and start calling people from, you know, 5 to 7 at night? We No, I mean, not that frequently. But um, I, what we what we have done is, you know, we really want to get out and kind of tell our story a little bit. We think that, you know, when, you know, when people walk by and they see fish fertilizer, you tell them, hey, I'm trying to sell you some fish fertilizer. The first thing is, oh, this is gross. This is going to smell. We want to tell them the whole story, how we're, how we're taking something, a, a terrible environmental situation with these invasive carp, and we're taking those things out and we're putting back, you know, offering it to people, you know, in a very good form. So we're, we're pulling so real I'm positive like, from it. If I'm the state of Minnesota or I'm the DNR, why aren't I, like, partnering up with you guys and going, yeah, let's get six more boats and two more arrows and let's really blow this thing out because not only can we get these out of the water, but we can make our gardens better for the DNR, our forests better, our, you know, is there an opportunity that someone will hear a podcast like this or meet you? And could this be the cure to the invasive species problem? Yeah. I mean, ideally that would be, you know, you got to, at the moment, there's a very small demand for carp. I mean, there's some different communities across the States here that, that, consume it you know as food but you know there's there's been a lot of attempts you know to to mitigate the problem but unsuccessful but if you right. figure out a way to make a demand for this thing i mean you can get rid of a lot more yeah so yeah i mean fish fertilizer in itself is not a new product there are companies on the east coast that will deal with fish scraps from ocean fish you know, cod scraps and they'll turn that into fertilizer yep so essentially all we're doing is offering it, you know, in a different package, taking an invasive versus just taking a waste product. So I think so far it's been, you know, locally there's been a large interest in it. We don't know how that would translate to, an, you know, a national level. Yeah, I just want people to hear your story because I think it's so cool. How, I mean, do you always have to get these fish with the bow and arrow situation if you had to grow and you got a lot of interest, you know, would it be just a matter of more boats and more nets? Uh, can you train people to get them with bows? Could you fish for them? Are there other ways to get more fish faster? You can get commercial netting permits. They're quite limited in the state, but that is an option, too. If they tend to limit it. You know, one boat would have a certain section of the Mississippi for the for carp netting. Yep. And why did they limit it? Why did they care? Because are there other fish that could be damaged in the process? I, that is a concern. I know, like Lake Pepin, will have a lot of netting. Even I think they have some rough fish netting for actually food too uh -huh. down there. And I think it was last summer that a lot of paddlefish died, so they actually shut that down for the remainder of the season. Okay. So they do want to regulate it to protect it, you know the native species and the yep. other game fish. And for you guys, I know that would be an issue because you're doing this as a service to the environment as much as it is, you know, you want to, of course, make money and make your money back, I'm sure. Um, is this a, a moneymaker? I mean, do you see that you could make the money back that you've invested and from the time that it takes to go out and to do it? And could you scale it up in a way that could be a small, good business for you? Yeah, I think it, right now we're doing this in small batches it is pretty 
expensive to do a process, yeah. but we are already expanding enough where we're you know we can start to see a reduction in cost of goods to make this more viable. Today, at a local scale, it is tough though. Yeah, I can imagine. And are you are you familiar at all with the aquaponics business? How they're using fish to and fish waste to grow crops. I wonder if is anybody taking the fish from the aquaponics farms after and turning them into fertilizer, or are they always turning them into like smoked fish for food? Do you know anything about that? I should. I know an aquaponics farmer, and they mainly. Uh, just consume the. They eat the fish. Yeah. I, I'm now, as far as the scales and tails, I'm not exactly sure what they do with that. If yeah. they turn that into compost or something like that, but you know, we that's that's a community that we like to collaborate with. And yeah, I can imagine the stuff they're working on as well. What do um, what do what does it look like when you're in your boat? Like, do the carp? I'll tell you a story, and you. this is why I have such weird carp images in my mind. One time in Las Vegas, I went to Lake Mead, and Lake Mead has, like, a place where you can put your quarter in and get a handful of corn, and you throw the corn in the water. I was standing on this dock, and it was probably a, went out about 20 feet, and I threw my corn in the water, and literally, it felt like thousands, I'm sure it was hundreds, of these Fish came wriggling to the surface. They were big fish, like, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20-pound fish. And they were so deep, it felt like if I fell off the dock, I would just be on top of the wriggling fish because it felt like they just went down, you know, forever. I could just see down just tons and tons of these fish. And my husband said, you know what those are, don't you? And I was like, no. And he said, those are carp. And so I just have this, like, gross idea in my mind of just these wriggling carp and there just being tons of them and them coming up to the surface. Is that what it's like in the dark, in the night, in a place like Lake Harriet? If it was, that, then it would literally be like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah. so it's it's funny because you at different times of the year, you know, if the fish are spawning, they're sure. all together and, and kind of, you know, running around together. Now, when we creep up on them with the boat, I mean, eventually there's, they'll spook, they'll, they'll swim off. Yeah. And sometimes you will come up on these clusters. Now, we haven't seen it in the lake. I, I've seen pictures and stuff of what you're talking about where they're just absolutely everywhere. And, again, unfortunately, we haven't stumbled across that scene here. But you, you definitely come up on different groups of them. Yeah. Um, and, and they're just kind of lurking out there in the water, not that far off from shore. So I know. I think it was... Two or three years ago when we had all the flooding in the summer uh-huh. on Minnehaha Creek. Yeah. So we were getting videos sent to us from people that were like down on Nokomis. So where those floodwaters went into grassy areas, there was hundreds and hundreds of carp trapped in there. So that was exactly what you were describing. But that you know, it's a, it requires a special situation, flooding or something that's going to get them all trapped. Were you that's, able to go and get them? By the time we had heard about it, they were already gone. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it, it it makes me think, though, so you've got this technology, you've got this expertise. If I can import your technology and your expertise, and uh, do you have a patent? We don't. Would there be any benefit to having one, or is it something that's not really patentable? I, our particular process, you potentially could, but the process of hydrolyzing fish is well known and, and done several places around the U.S. and even in yep. Australia. There's a yep. company that does this, too. 
Well, I just, I heard this story and I was like, this is just amazing. Are you guys, um, are you gardeners? I think you're gardening for your experimenting, but are you gardeners or stewards of food kind of in general? And is that what, or is it just like an environmental thing, like get these horrible fish out of these lakes? You know, I, th- I think that when it all started, um, we just were getting the fish out of the lakes and figuring out a way to make the, the, the waste product useful. I think that what we've found is we've become more and more engaged in the sustainability movement because yeah. we're, we're around a lot of people and the people who get most excited about this are the people that have a pretty pretty good understanding of the stewardship. Yeah, the farmers and the people that are, and that's how I found out about you from Emily Paul from Good Acre. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, you got to meet these guys. What they're doing is super cool. So how many nights a week are you going out now? Really not that often. It's The biggest time to go out is in the spring. Okay. So as soon as the ice comes off the lake, you can get out there that day. And the big thing is having clear water. So by the time August rolls around, the local lakes are so green that you wouldn't even be able to see the fish. Yep. So it's really, yeah, the April, May, June time frame. Which is kind of nice because then you have like a fishing cycle and then you have a marketing cycle and a selling cycle. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to keep getting up in the middle of the night. When it's in (laughs) your season, do you get up every night? Well, when we when we go out fishing, we usually go out in the evening. So like, you know, you're on the water before the sun sets. And then once it gets dark is when you start. That's kind of go time. And then we usually, I don't know. This guy gets a little, he goes a little bit later than I ever would. (laughs) When I was in Croatia traveling, I met a man who had been um, hunting for octopus for like 70 years. He was just like this craggly old guy with like just kind of weird gnarled hands. And he had this boat that had been in his family for like two generations and all these very complicated hand tied nets and he had a light on the end of the boat that was he it was a gaslight and he would turn the gaslight on and he would go out and he would spear octopus and i just have this vision of you guys out there in this <laughs> boat like spearing these giant carp am i close yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's <laughs> quite a primitive sport when you boil down to it are there other people out there with you like is there competition locally there's probably there may be another half dozen people locally, but if you get further south, there aren't a lot of carp north. You know, in the Iron Range, carp don't exist right now. Really? Why? They were just never brought up there. So okay, around here, anywhere probably other than the river, they were put in that lake intentionally, or since they've been transferred there. You know, just like any other invasive species today, like yep. zebra mussels, they accidentally get transported in a bait bucket. Yep. Or some, I mean, I always have this idea that someone like felt bad for their fish and let them go in the lake. Does I think that actually could happen? Yeah, we we saw a goldfish out this year, and a friend of ours in Wisconsin had the state record for a goldfish. How big was it? It was only two or three pounds. But it's wow. still a pretty big goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> Just so weird. Well, but, but I think yeah, he asked the DNR like, how would this get here? And they're like, well, a kid threw it in there, and it just. Nothing bothered it. So that's the thing with the carp, too, is once they get in a lake, they they don't have any natural predators. I think it's if they grow to be six months old, they're left alone the rest of their life. So they can grow to be 60 years old. Wow. And 50, 60 pounds. What's the biggest one you guys have ever caught? Just I think just under 40 pounds for a carp. 
And that had to be like seriously hard to get in your boat. It's usually a multi, multi, multiple person effort <laughs> Just at that like point. You got gloves on, and <laughs> I do get scared when you're out there in the middle of the night, and they're like these monster fish under the water, and you're. The only time we were scared, I think, is there was a, a beaver that was giving us a hard time. Somebody, <laughs> somebody was talking about in like uh, the Eastern Bloc. Somebody was trying to take a picture of a beaver and it, it killed him somehow or some way. Oh, so, so I think it was like a little, mind. like yeah, a little nighttime story that got some people a little scared. But probably the biggest fish you see out there is a muskie. Uh, that would scare me. That would scare me to be reaching my hand and you know trying to bring this carp into the boat and that a muskie would just come up and does that, I mean, it could happen, right? Not to freak you out. <laughs> it probably could. Um, they, they, they seem to just sit there and they, it's like they know that they're the king of the lake. And yeah. They, they don't seem too bothered when you drive by. They just sit there and look at you. Gosh. So what's the biggest muskie you've ever seen? Probably in the, you know, Low fifty inch range, wow. so like the Minneapolis lakes are really I've well known for muskies. I've heard there's quite a few of them in those lakes. And white bear too. Yeah, oh, that's so amazing. Well, thank you for what you're doing. I feel like it's like we should pay you to, you know, be doing this, and yet here we are, so we can buy your products. Are there local garden centers that carry it to Mike's Green Fin Plant Care? So we got, we're at Gertens. I love Gertens. Good we place. are at um, the Ace in Linden Hills. Okay. Ace Hardware. Which is a great one right next to the uh, Linden Hills Farmer's Market. Yep. yep. And also the Ace on Penn. Okay. We are in Mother Earth Gardens in both Northeast and South Minneapolis. Right. How about Eggplant Urban Supply? Yep. Okay. And they're in St. Paul? Yep. And we are in Heidi's Lifestyle Gardens. All right. Out in Corcoran. We got to hook you guys up with Dale and Ruth Bachman and get you in there. They good stewards of the environment. So maybe we'll, I'll send them this podcast and who knows, maybe I can help you. I'm a lake uh, dweller. I have a lake uh, cabin and invasive species are something that we're always trying to guard against, right? So I love that you guys turn something that is pretty nasty and trying to make a business out of it. So that's very cool. You are the epitome of why I do this podcast, so that we can help spread the word about cool people doing cool things in the state of Minnesota. Thanks so much for being here today. Um, If you are interested in their story, you can find it at Makers of Minnesota. Of course, we have an Instagram page, a Facebook page, a Twitter account, and um, you can always find – you guys have a website, right? Mm -hmm. What's the website so people can find you? It's twomikes.net. Okay, twomikes.net. T-W-O. All right, so to TWOMikes.net. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And good luck with the fishing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines. Paycor knows HR teams are under pressure to recruit and retain top talent. You need more than HR tech. You need expertise at the core. Meet Paycor. Our technology saves you time. Our expertise helps you make a difference. Paycor.com slash meet Paycor. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. An F-16 pilot having hydraulic problems with his aircraft managed to parachute to safety as the plane smashed into a warehouse east of Los Angeles. Fire Captain Fernando Herrera. That pilot landed in the uh, March Air Force Base area. And, and what's in the base issue? itself. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries after the plane hit the building. Alabama executed a man last night for his role in killing four people after an argument over a pickup truck. 
Tennessee executed a man who killed his wife. Reporters couldn't see the execution, but AP correspondent Travis Lawler says... We could hear sounds, uh, including a singing that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's attorney says was him singing a hymn. Answering a reporter's question, President Trump said he hopes the U.S. is not on a path to war with Iran. Mr. Trump has dismissed suggestions that any of his advisors are trying to push him into a conflict. I'm Rita Foley.